I look around the room here, I see people that I know are, are going through some tough times. I want you to know that those of you that are sending in prayer requests are praying for you. And I trust that as a body of believers, you're lifting up one another because we live in a world that is opposed to Christ. Okay, not only are the people, many people opposed to Christ, but the whole system of this whole universe is opposed to the Lord. And I know that people go through times of struggle and and sickness and challenge, and it's like, what's going on, God? All that is just showing us the truth of God's Word, that this world is cursed. But praise God, the Lord is victorious over all of that. And there's coming a day where we'll be with the Lord, and we'll be in a perfect new heaven, new earth, and all the challenges that we experience here will be gone. There'll be no more tears, no more sorrow. This is what the Lord has in store for us, and we look forward to that. Well, that's the end. That's the end, I guess. Well, if there isn't, there really isn't an end, but that's maybe the, the end as we think about it. But I want to push you to think about the beginning. I want you to think about the beginning. Even the beginning in your own life. Where'd you grow up? Where was home for you? You know, what, what, what address did you, did you have as a child that you can remember right now? Do you have one? Did you live on a road or on a street, in a county, in a different state? I don't know. Where did you grow up? You ever go back there? Like for one reason or another, if you, didn't, if you didn't grow up here in Berkeley County, okay, you ever go back there and just sort of, you know, ride down the road you grew up on? I have. And it's kind of a neat experience, is it not? You know, I, I, as, as many of you have heard me talk about my years growing up, I grew up in a little country road in, in the middle of West Virginia, okay, Mineral County, West Virginia. And on occasion, we've been back visiting family, whatever, and we'll have some extra time, and, and we'll ride out Limestone Road that I grew up on. And we'll ride down the road, and I'll tell my kids, you know, there's that spot where I wrecked my bike, or there's that spot where mom spanked me, or, or there's that spot where this happened, and just sort of reminisce as you're riding down the road. Did you ever do that? If you haven't, you should. You should. And I remember one particular time, I was, I was in Kaiser um, on my own. I didn't have my family with me at all, and I had some extra time, and, and I made that ride all by myself. So now there's nobody to tell stories to. There's nobody to reminisce with. And that was probably more meaningful than any other. To ride in silence down the road and just contemplate where I'm from. I want to contemplate with you today on where you're from and what your past includes. And I want to go before where you grew up. I don't want to stop there, okay? I want to go long before that. And I want us to see that in the beginning, in the very beginning of time, in the beginning of of the creation, man had a problem. And we're going to talk about that today. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. You can turn here in your Bible if you would, just so you can see it. Go clear back into Genesis chapter 3. You see this issue that, that mankind, men and women, have had since the very beginning of, of human beings. We have struggled with an issue. You see it laid out in Genesis chapter 3. Here where man and woman are there in a perfect setting, in the Garden of Eden, everything is perfect, everything is wonderful, there there is a connection with the Lord, everything is provided. And in that setting, what does man do? What does woman do? What does mankind do? We drift into this doubt about God. 
You read it there in Genesis chapter 3, okay? Your eyes can just go over the passage, okay? You see right there in verse number 1, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. We need to go back to the beginning, folks. We have to go back to the beginning to see what's there in our DNA, to see what is there in, in all humans. And we start out with this tendency, when this, with this, this movement that is, always happens in man's heart, to doubt the very character of God. To doubt God. And to wonder, God, are you good? God, do you have my good in mind? God, are you loving? God, are you able? God, are you good enough? That's where we go as people. That's where we go as creatures. We are creatures because we were created. And we as creatures, that's where we initially, that's where we first go in our hearts. God, are you good? And we even doubt the very creator. But it doesn't end there. Turn over one page in my Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 4. Go to Genesis chapter 4. And now these, these two who, who fell into sin, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, had children. And now we see the events of, of, of time going by, and, and now they have children. Cain and Abel are their names. And I want you to see now another, another, depend, another, another issue that comes up in human beings' lives. Look at verse 1 there of chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Okay, I told you the first thing that we do as humans is we question the very character of God. We question the very character of God. And then we quickly realize as we consider the character of God how far we are from Him. How inadequate we are. And we start to ask this question. We ask the question that God is answering for Cain. The question that we ask is, how can I be accepted? God, I'm not sure about your character, I wonder about you. Are you good? Are you able? I wonder about that, but I don't wonder for a minute about me. I'm rotten. And how can I be accepted by the God of the universe? Every person in this room, 
I, I, don't, I don't care what you voice your belief about God is. It doesn't matter to me. Every person that you know, every person you interact with, they all have eternity stamped on their heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. They all have eternity on their heart. And every human being is, is wondering, how can I be accepted by God? How can I be accepted? Now, here over the last sort of two months, we've been walking through a series on the Ten Commandments. Appreciate Pastor Bill reading that whole long passage for us from Exodus chapter 20. We've walked through the Ten Commandments. Today is the final sort of message on the Ten Commandments, and it's really a wrap-up to what we've been dealing with. But it's ultimately, I want to I answer the question of, how can we be accepted by God? See, a lot of us see the Ten Commandments, and and we may hear them read as we did today, and we immediately think of them as as a means for our acceptance. If I just follow these ten rules, then I'll be accepted. Let me review for you what they are, okay? And you can evaluate how you're doing, okay? How's that sound? Remember commandment number one? No other gods before him. God says you have no other gods before me. And we talked about that at length, and we said that, that we are to worship only the true God. We are to worship the true God only. No other gods in our lives. And we talked about how a lot of us struggle against false gods in our life. But God says, no other God before me. There is no other God. Your your spouse, your children, your home, your job, your prestige, your personality. No other gods before me. And we immediately think of, you know, these foreign gods and foreign lands. But the reality is, we all deal with false gods ourselves. And God says, no. I I will not share my glory with another, Isaiah 42. And God says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Those who pridefully say, no, this will be my God. God says, no, I'll resist that. No other gods. The second commandment is a lot like it. No graven image. Now, here's what this is. We are to worship the only true God. And now in the second commandment, we're told we're to worship him truly. We don't fashion an idol. We don't, we, don't, we don't craft something to allow us to worship Him in a better way. We don't get to make God in the image that we want. God has told us what He's like. God has told us who He is. And we don't get to fashion Him. We don't get to, we don't get to mold Him like clay. He's not clay. We aren't potters. That's not the way it works. We don't get to say, I don't like this part that is revealed about you in the Word. I don't like that. So I'm not going to think about that part of you, God. We like God as loving. We like that He's merciful. But God is also holy. And God is true. And God does have things that He has declared to be sin. Not just, you know, bad for man and, and not just wrong, but sin. And we cannot, for us to redefine God, for us to say, I don't like that part of God. It doesn't make me feel comfortable. I don't like that. For us to try to redefine God is violating the second commandment. It's crafting an image. It's a graven image of God that's not God. And thinking we're going to worship it. So God says, worship Him only. Worship only the true God. And worship Him truly. It doesn't end there. Remember the third one? What's the third one, you know? Can you name all ten? You know, the, the vast majority of, of people, maybe not majority, but a, but a large percentage of people, if you ask them, how can, you be, how can you go to heaven? A lot of people will say, keep the ten commandments. 
And you say, well, can you name them? Think you can name them? I bet you'd be surprised. I bet you'd be surprised. Number three, you know what it is? Oh, you're looking, Exodus chapter 20. We're not to use the Lord's name in vain. We're not to use the Lord's name in vain. Here we talked about that we, need, we, do, we are called to proclaim the name of God. We have, if you're in Christ today, you carry the name of God on your body. You are the bearer of the image of God. And we must proclaim that faithfully. We do not use or live the name of the Lord vainly. How you live matters. What you think matters. Who you are matters. I better speed up. Number four is remember the Sabbath. We talked about resting in the Lord. Number five was honoring your parents. Remember parents? You like that one, right? Honor God's authorities in our lives. Number six, honor God's image, no murder. Number seven, no adultery. Honor marriage, honor sexuality. Sex is God's idea. You know that? God's the one that came up with it. That's good, and some people think that's bad. Listen, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Honor our marriage and honor sexuality. Next was no stealing. Now we get into trusting God. Trust God in His provision. And we had no false witness. So trusting God with the truth. And then last week we dealt with America's favorite sin. It, it is such a sin in America that nobody's even embarrassed of it. People are embarrassed of adultery. People are embarrassed of lying. People are embarrassed of stealing. But people will covet right in front of you and, and not, with, with no shame. They'll covet. What does covet mean? Remember what covet means? Covet means to see something. It's not yours. You don't have the means of even having it. So it's not you walking through Walmart and thinking, I think I'll buy a snicker. That's not coveting. Covenant is you do not have the provision, the means to have it, but you want it. It's yours. You've got to have that thing. It's coveting. And then it gets even uglier. Remember what the uglier word? You go from covet to an uglier word. Starts with an E. Ends with a Y. Has an N and a V in the middle. Envy. What's envy? Envy is when you don't just covet this thing, but now you've got bitterness towards the owner. You've got bitterness towards the owner. I like their car, the car. I wish it was mine. Can't stand him because he drives that car. Now, these are the Ten Commandments. How you doing on them? How you doing? It's not easy, right? Now, listen, there is a temptation. And, it's, and, we've, and I've tried to hit this every single week. I've tried to nail this time and time again. But, but I want to make sure that we understand what these are about. Okay? Because the reality is, 1 Corinthians 15 says that God has given us victory. That God has given us victory in Christ. And I want to remind you of that. Hear the word of God. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what people do. Here's what, here's what Christians do. Here's what non-Christians do. Here's what you may struggle with. We hear the Ten Commandments. We hear the Ten Commandments, and we have one of three responses. One of three responses, okay? Listen to them and evaluate yourself. The first response, I just call it humanism. 
Humanism. We hear the Ten Commandments, and the humanist response is, I don't believe in God, so I don't have to obey anybody. It's a humanist approach. I don't believe in God, so I don't have to obey, obey anybody. It's, it's a natural view of life. It's an atheistic view of life. To say, I don't believe in God, so I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't really care about victory. I don't need to obey anybody. Now, you know that's, that's maybe not a majority, but it's a lot of people that, that view God's Word in that way. I don't believe in God anyway, so, so why should I even obey? But listen, now there's a maybe a more dangerous problem that we as believers sort of shift into. I've called it a couple things. Hear me on this. I've called it moralism. I've called it religion. You'll hear it called legalism. Now hear this because I'm convinced that the vast majority of people in the church believe in moralism. And moralism is a quick path to hell. You need to understand how we approach God's law not in a moralistic, religious, or legalistic fashion. I'm telling you, when Jesus encountered the religious authorities of the day, when he was on the earth, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were moralists. They had the same Old Testament as us. They, they, they viewed it with the same authority that you do, probably higher than you do. They believed it was the Word of God. But they were off by a small degree. They were off by just a small degree. But when you stretch it out over 60, 70 years of their lifetime, it's a path to hell. And it's called moralism or legalism or religion. And here's what it means. Here's what it means. Be, be warned of this. The moralist believes, if I obey, then I'll be accepted by God. If I obey, then I'll be accepted by God. If I, if I follow these rules, God will accept me. Or if I obey, then I'll be blessed by God. If I obey the Lord, He'll bring blessing in my life. If I obey God, then I'll be sanctified in Christ. If I obey Him, He'll fashion me to be more like His Son. All i got to do is just obey God, obey the Ten Commandments, and then God will like me, or, or God will accept me, or, or God will transform me. All I have to do is obey. That's moralism. That's moralism. It's self-improvement. It's Cain. It's Cain. When God is answering the question to him, how can I be accepted? And it is not the gospel. It is not the gospel. The gospel is very different. I'll use some of the same words, but it is very different. The gospel says this, I am accepted by God at infinite cost of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I will obey. You hear the difference? I am accepted by God through an infinite cost of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I will obey Him. It's, it's, it's the same words. It's the same punctuation. One comma and one period. But it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And it's, it's a danger. It's a danger for us 
that are here a lot. Some of you are here a whole bunch. Some of you, you've been here since practically the day you were born, okay? And you've heard this same teaching over and over and over. You've heard not to covet. It's a good one. It's a good one to start with. You've heard not to covet. And you've sat there and and you've realized, I coveted. I coveted her Barbie doll, okay? I coveted his skateboard. I coveted his car. I coveted his, his college that, that was, you know, he got to, got to go to. I coveted his home. I coveted his wife. I coveted his kids. I coveted that his wife didn't die. I coveted his retirement. We covet, 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 and we sit here, and guys like me get up front and say, we ought not to covet, and then we say, all right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to not covet. With all of my strength, I'm going to not covet. I'm going to stop coveting the Barbie doll. I'm going to stop coveting the skateboard. I'm going to stop coveting the car. I'm going to stop coveting the house, the college education, the job, the marriage, the children, the retirement. I'm going to stop coveting. It's moralism. We fail. And we fail. And we fail. We get tired of failing. Do you know what we do then? We take that one word, we change it a little bit. Instead of fail, 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 now we fake, fake, fake. We learn the words to use. We learn the expressions, the the facial gestures, you know. And so now when you're tempted to covet somebody's house, you know, you might be with a friend and you say, well, God's really blessed them. Ting. And smile as if that's what I'm supposed to do, right? So instead of fail, 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 we fake, fake, fake. And I'm telling you, if that's what we're depending upon, if that's where we're living, if that's what we're trusting on to, for God to accept us, we are not a believer. Go in your Bible to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. You know, if you've been around very long, you've probably realized that Good old Pastor Lowell. It's like there's a funnel or something, and at the bottom of it is Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's like I'm always coming back to this passage. Sorry. It's just so good. It's just so good. I want to look here at Romans chapter 7 because we want to see some things just as, as one more chance. As we've talked a lot about the law, we've talked a lot about the Ten Commandments. And, and even going into this, I was, a little bit, I was a little bit hesitant. I was a little bit worried. Maybe not worried, but I was a little just, just thoughtful about this. That I didn't, I didn't want to teach moralism. I didn't want to teach us to now we've got to try harder not to lie. Try harder not to covet. Try harder not to murder. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to keep pointing us to Christ. Keep pointing us to the gospel, not moralism. So today is, is one more chance for me to try to swing hard at this so that we understand where growth is, where Christ is, what the gospel means. So we want to see some things here in Romans 7 and in the Romans 8. I want to show you some things from God's word that the law provides and some things the law doesn't produce. I, I, want, to, I want us to see here what the capability of the law is. The law provides us with knowledge. It does. But on its own, it never produces The law provides us with knowledge, but on its own, it never produces. Let me show you this. Jump with me at Romans chapter 7, verse 7. 
Read along with me. Here's what it says. Paul writes, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would, have not, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I think we've heard that today already, about four times. So here Paul is, is pointing to the law. He's choosing the tenth commandment, and he's calling that the law. And he says, it says very clearly, you shall not covet. And he says, quite honestly, I wouldn't have known, I would not have known this truth about sin, some truth about sin, if I had not had the law. So you see, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it in depth in just a minute, but you can see that the law brings knowledge. The law brings knowledge. Let's read on. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. All kinds of it. Paul says, I'm a, I'm a covetous person. If he gave a list, maybe he'd say Barbie dolls and skateboards and cars and, and college educations and husbands and wives and children and, and retirement, maybe. He's saying, it's just in me. It's all over the place. I, I, he says, I log on to Facebook and I'm, I'm running down the news feed and I'm just I'm coveting their trip and their trip and their trip and their trip. I'm coveting, coveting, coveting. Are you with me? And what are we going to do? For the commandment, season opportunity through the commandment, produced to me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And listen, that's a great thing. This death is good. I'll explain it in a second. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now that's a lot. Let me me walk through it. Let me walk through it. The law provides knowledge, does. And the first thing that I want us to see is it provides a knowledge of sin. It provides a knowledge of sin. You see that very in verse number 7 and beyond. Paul says, I, I didn't even know not to covet, but now I know it's wrong. Listen, folks, you are all, we are all born sinners. We are born in sin. When we were born, God gave, the Lord brought to us sin as a curse for Adam's fall. Every person inherits this sin. Every single one of us. And then we live our lives, and and you can see it displayed in our lives. It is our very nature to sin. We inherit a guilt of sin, and we inherit the corruption of sin. We are guilty before the Lord, and our very body is corrupt. Your flesh is corrupt and moves towards sin every single time. And the wonder of the law is it reveals that to you. 
And so Paul says, this, this, sin, this law showed me how broken I was. There's a value in knowing you're broke. There's a wonderful value of knowing that you are broke. Have you ever had a car that made a weird noise? Every car I have always makes a strange noise. And I know exactly how to fix it. Just turn up the radio, right? That's all you got to do. And it goes away. Now you laugh, but that's honestly what I do most of the time. Aaron can tell you, okay? And finally I come down like, man, there's something wrong with my car. Watch. Now turn the radio down. It's like making all like a one-man band underneath the trunk, you know? Or hood, that is. I'm a real mechanic. We need to know that we're broken. That's why we spent time in the commandments. Because take coveting. We watch all those things on Facebook or on the television or whatever. If we don't realize how wrong it is to covet and to want that experience, to covet her body, to covet being married to him, to covet the wonderful 4.0 that their kids had for some reason they posted on Facebook, if we don't know that that is wrong, then what will we do? We will attack the character of God and say, why didn't you give me that husband? Why didn't you give me those kids? Why didn't you give me that ability? If we don't call it sin, if we don't know it's sin, it will rot your gut. It gets so bad that Paul says, law brings a knowledge of death. You see that? Verse number nine. I was once alive apart from the law. In other words, I was doing fine. I didn't need God. I was fine. I didn't need him. And then the commandment came. Sin came alive and I died. The reality is he was born dead. Now he simply knows it. The volume's down on the radio and you can hear the clang. Something is wrong. Listen, I want us to know how dead we are apart from Christ. I want to increase my knowledge of my death without Christ. By death, I don't mean at the end of my life when my heart stops bleeding and my, my lungs stop breathing and my, my brain stops working. I don't mean that. I mean spiritual death, that I'm separated from God. I want to increase, I want to throw wood on the fire of me being dead without Christ. I want to know that with all of my gut, that apart from Christ, I got nothing. That I was lost and now I'm found. That, that I am a wretched sinner. You say, oh, Lord, that's so negative. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. But without that part in the beginning, the story means nothing. The climax means nothing without the buildup. I got to know I'm dead. Do you know you're dead? Recently, I had a lunch with, with a young man that was in my youth ministry years ago. Years ago. And when he was a kid in the youth group, he was just like your kid. He was a punk, okay? And now he's like, you know, so old, it makes me feel like even older, okay? You know, kids and married and all this stuff. And I'm like, really? I thought you were like 16. He's like, no, I'm like 35, lol. I'm like, it's depressing. To make a long story short, He is on fire for the Lord. 
And I sat there, tears welling up in my eyes. Because I knew him when he was a punk. And I said, listen. I said, you know me. My life is consumed with seeing the Lord do in people's hearts what he's done in yours. What is it? What happened to you? You know, you got hit in the head with something. What was it? Tell me what it is, and I'll do it to somebody else. What happened? He said, Lo, honestly, you know what it is? I've just realized I am such a dirty, rotten sinner. I'd already called him a punk about five times. He said, when I was a punk, I didn't know that. I didn't know it. I said, all right then, tell, how, can I, how can I help other people to know that? Tell me, tell me, okay? And I get a pencil, okay? I'll write it down, you tell me, you tell me, okay? What, what did you do? What, what did I do? He's like, honestly, I, I just had to do what you said. I had to eat with the pigs. I used to use the illustration all the time. I had to eat with the pigs and realize their slop was no good. You know what he had to do? He had to die. He had to realize he was dead. He had to roll over and see that little screen that goes beep, beep, beep when you're alive and see it going beep and know he was dead. And he knew it. And look what happens. Look what happens. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. But the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, no. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandments might become sinful beyond measure. Paul says, I came alive because I understood. Now I have a knowledge of God. You see, this commandment is good. This law is good. Thou shalt not covet is good because it reveals the character of God that he's provided you everything you need. You have everything you need. It shows us the goodness of God. That God values life so we are not to murder. You see, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, they're revealing the character of God. They show us what God is like. He's the only God. He can be worshipped only one way. He is so awesome. His name must be protected. He allows us to rest in Him. He brings authority to our lives that we must trust. He has made marriage and made sex, and we need to, we need to believe in what He has said. He honors life, so should we. He honors truth, so should we. He's given us all we need. We don't need to steal. And when it comes to joy, we have everything we need from Him. This is His character. This is God. Do you know Him? I got to speed up. I got to speed up. See some things that, that the law will never do. Verse 13, go to that, would you? 13, 13 and 14. Notice what the law will never do. He says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Now listen to what follows. This is so cool. It's like Dr. Seuss-like. Listen. For I do not understand my own actions. So he says, I don't, I don't even get myself, okay? I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You ever had that, you ever had that dilemma? I, I don't, I don't want to do this, but then all of a sudden I find myself like doing it. 
You know, I, I don't, I don't want to steal. I, I don't want to lie. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to lust. And all of a sudden, it's like I just wake up and I'm doing it. What, what's going on here? Okay? I do the very thing I hate. And look what he says. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, what he's saying there, so when I find myself violating the law and I think, oh, I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. When I violate the law and I think I didn't want to do that, that's showing that I know the law is good. The law is good. When I don't do what I didn't want to do, I'm seeing the law is good. Where am I? So now, verse 17, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Boom, there, that's it. We said the law brings knowledge, but it never produces. The law provides knowledge. It tells us what sin is. It tells us what death is. It tells us who God is, but it never produces. You can try all your might. You can try with all of your strength. You can bring in all kinds of help to allow you to not covet, and you're going to fail every time. You're going to fail every single time. The law will never produce in your life, not on its own. It will never produce righteousness. It will never produce a a, a thankful heart. It will never produce an honoring of life. It will never produce truth. If you're trying that on your own, it will fail every single time. It gets so strong. Look where Paul goes. Verse 21. So I find a law that, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So inside of him, he wants to do what's right. In his inner being, he doesn't want to lie. He doesn't want to covet. He doesn't want to have a false God. I find it in my, in the law, in my inner being, but I see in my members, that means what he does and what he thinks and what he says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's saying, I want to do right. I want to honor God. And I've got the law here, but I see this law at, at, at play. That I want to do what's right, and every single time, this law captures me, and I fall victim to it over and over and over and over and over again. Folks, I have seen people living out this passage at such a level that when, I, when, when I'm with them, I think they are nearly suicidal. They are so broken and enchained to sin. It has such a grip in their life that I am honestly sitting there thinking, do I need to call the authorities because this person may take their life? I've been there. Where they're so trapped in the bondage of sin. That might be you. So enslaved to this body of death And you hear the law. Matter of fact, you're here a lot. And so you hear the law a lot. And so now you feel the weight on your shoulders. You're like you're bent down over like, oh, this thing is crushing me. You are very close to the heart of Paul. The same same blood that's pumping through your brain and and your vessels is pumping through Paul's as well. This is what he feels. He feels burdened and broken over the bondage of the law. 
The law has brought him knowledge, but it's not producing. It's, it's brought knowledge, but no production. Listen what he says. Wretched man that I am. I deserve to die. He's practically suicidal at this point. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And now there is a pregnant pause. And you are to wrestle with that. If I were, if I were editing this Bible, I'd have a blank page right now. Wrestle with it. Who is delivering you from this body of death? Is it you? Is it your parents? Is it your wife dragging you to church? Is it your husband or your your child? Is it me? I hope not. Every one of those people will fail you. We will all let you down. Every single one of us. Who will save you from this wretched body? Blank page. And now we turn. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself... I serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, in other words, I still feel it. I, I still feel it. I serve the law of sin. It goes right into the next verse. Don't look at that big eight. It shouldn't be there, okay? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the law never provides, or it does provide, that is, the law provides, but never produces. But Jesus does both. Jesus does both. He provides freedom, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The lo- Jesus has set you free from that. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Jesus has. You say, how? By sending his own son, that's how. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He died for it. So what this is telling, what this calling to you and to I is this. Jesus Christ came to save us from the wretched man that we are. And this is what he did. He freed us. He freed us. He offered freedom. He offered redemption to us. He offered freedom from the penalty of sin. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The penalty of sin, gone. For those who put our trust in Jesus. You know that thing that haunts you? You know that evil that's right next to you and ready to grab you? If you're in Christ, the penalty for that, gone. Gone. You say, where did it go? Did it it just magically erase? Did God just erase it? No. No, not at all. He didn't erase it. He remembered it with his infinite mind. He held on to it with his awesome, powerful hand. And he took that sin and he put it on his son. He did not erase our sin. 
He did not erase your sin. He stored it up and put it on His Son. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, and He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk according, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And there we have it. And there we have it. Hear the gospel. Hear the gospel. Empowered by the law. Made strong by the law. Made relevant by the law. Made real by the law. Made valuable by the law. Here is the gospel. I'm a sinner. God has forgiven me at an infinite cost of His Son. And because of this new nature that God has placed in me, I obey the law. I, I, do, I do what God instructs me to do. Because I show my love to Him in that way. And God has given me a new spirit. He's given me a new spirit that's victorious over this death body that I have. This is the gospel. We don't obey God so that we would be accepted. We are accepted by God and therefore obey Him. Be careful with the law. Be careful. Because all it produces on its own is death. But if we carefully handle it, and carefully understand it, what it produces is love and worship and honor and glory to our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. It's complicated, God, but, but simple. We see this truth played out in our lives. Evil is right there, ready to consume. He said to Cain, if you do what is right, you will be accepted. Father, on our own, we can never do what is right. I just pray for, for a believer here today who's struggling in an area of sin. Lord, that they would, that they would bring that to you. Stop trying in their own power. Stop, stop depending upon their own strength. But lean on to you with every single ounce of their weight. And let your spirit empower them to conquer this coveting or stealing or lying or lusting or idolatry, whatever it may be. That your spirit, Lord, would work. And Lord, for those that maybe haven't understood the gospel, maybe today they're getting it. Lord, may they run to you in their spirit right now, confessing their sin, believing on what you did, calling out to you to save.
It's a prayer you always hear. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the law that does instruct us of your character and of our dependence upon you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.